Thank you guys so much. Uh, I forgot to pass out our discussion sheets earlier, so if you're a discussion leader, uh, intern, volunteer, or a student, come grab a discussion sheet up here at the front. Every table should have at least one. Come grab one of those sheets. Anybody else? Nope. Okay. All right. Now, last week, last week, I realized that I talked for a long time last week, and it went on and on and on. And so, so were you even here last week, Cassie? No, I don't think you were. I don't think you were. Um, so, uh, in fact, I we record Sunday morning so we can podcast it later, uh, and uh, and it was like like forty five minutes of like teaching, and uh, like five minutes of discussion. So here's what I decided to do today: is uh, we're gonna have a lot more discussion today. I'm gonna teach a little bit. I'm gonna try to um, balance the scales a bit more today and actually have more discussion than actual teaching. So who knows? Y'all might actually get out of here early today. But, but probably not. So, just want to give you a warning on that. Um, but turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you're just joining us today, we've been in this one little passage for about a month now. And uh, you might ask, why in the world are you teaching the same thing over and over again? Where This is a story of what you might know as the prodigal son but we are calling it what, people? The two sons. And that's because there's two sons and not just one son in the story, all right? So look at Luke chapter 15. We're actually going to summarize it just briefly and then jump right into your first few questions here. So um, here's a summary of this story. I'm not going to actually read the whole thing this morning. Here's a summary of what happened in the story. Uh, Jesus is spending time with sinners uh, people that wear sin on their sleeve, the obvious sinners of that day. And uh, the Pharisees, these self-righteous, legalistic rule followers, are watching him spend time with sinners. So they get angry that Jesus is showing grace to what their society classifies as the sinner. And so in the midst of their anger, Jesus tells the story of what you know as the prodigal son. We're calling it the tale of the two sons. And here's the story. It breaks it down really simply. There's an older son and a younger son, and there's a father. And the older son is a rule keeper. The younger son is a rule breaker. Now, the younger son, he goes to his father. He asks his father for his, for his inheritance early. The father gives it to him. And the young man goes off, and he wastes the father's inheritance. When he's down in, like, the pit, literally with pigs, eating what they're eating, he decides, you know, I had a lot better at home. So he decides to come back home. And he thinks his father won't receive him back in as a son. So he says to himself, I'll ask my father if I can at least be a slave. Because his slaves get treated better than what I'm getting treated in this far off distant land. So um, he comes back home and the father does the unthinkable. The father throws him this massive welcome home party. Now there's this older son who sees the father's reaction. And he gets angry at the grace of the father. He gets angry that this father's throwing his rebellious son this incredible party. 
So he gets angry about the party. He won't go into the party. He's sitting outside pouting, feeling sorry for himself. And so the story ends with the father inviting the older son into the celebration feast as they celebrate the younger son's return home. And so in life, we also see that there are two kinds of, there's rule keepers and there's rule breakers. Most of you guys, your personalities fall into one of those two categories. Most of us fit into one of those two segments for the most part. Not always, but for the most part, our personalities lean in one direction or the other. Rule keeper or rule breaker. Now, last week, uh, we talked about the older son and how uh, many of us that are raised in the church um, fall into danger, and we actually can very easily fall into the trap of thinking like the older son, thinking that our self-righteousness is what saves us. We just follow rules. We don't follow Jesus. And so we we touched on last week, I I shared part of my story with you guys. We touched on um, this idea that for many of us that are raised in the church, but we also touched on the idea that for those of you in the room that are that go to Christian school or homeschooled, now I'm not bashing schooling here, okay, because there are plenty of older brothers, older son type people in the public school. But the reason why I brought up private school and homeschool last week was because that's how I was raised. I was raised in a Christian school all the way through. And what it led for me, it led me to have this very self-righteous, legalistic, look down at other people, attitude towards other kinds of people. That's what it led in my life. And so we talked about that last week, just talking about how that can easily lead to the older brother mindset. But here's what also can happen. Is the older son type person, the rule follower, sometimes becomes the younger son, the rule breaker. And so I want you to think about if you're someone that would classify yourself as the older son type of person, the rule follower type person. There have been times in your life where you have felt really tempted to go become like the younger son, the rule breaker, because you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is not working for me anymore, right? This, this kind of life is boring, right? And, and so for me personally, the times I felt most uh, tempted towards the younger son mindset, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, when I was in junior high, I would consider myself a Christian at that age, but I started being, uh, getting caught up in the wrong crowd with the people. Even at my Christian school, there was, a, there was obviously the wrong crowd, so to speak, even still. And, uh, and so I was heading down this direction of rebellion with these guys, and, um, and I felt God kind of pulling on my heart to, to come back to him, okay? And I responded to that. But there were different times in life where I felt like I was being pulled towards the younger son mindset even though I would consider my personality more like the older son as far as how I look at life for the most part. So what I want you guys to do is uh, to go through questions one through three and uh, go ahead and discuss one through three. Go ahead. All right, so how are we doing? Everyone's like, please interrupt us. Make us stop talking. All right, I'm trying to really give you time to discuss this morning so I don't interrupt anybody. So, But what I've noticed, though, is that Kim Ronslaben's table could talk for like an hour about each question. I have noticed that, though. Uh, other tables are making airplanes, and then Kim is still talking theology. So, uh, No, you're good, you're good. 
There you go. That was just pointing out that, that while some tables are making airplanes, you guys are still talking, and it's just hard to figure out. It's hard to find a balance. Yeah, she could. She could. She could do it off the cuff. All right, so um, here's, uh, here's our goal today. Listen up. Our goal today is I want you to see from this story how we can redefine sin, all right? And I know you're thinking, okay, we're going to talk about sin. That sounds exciting. Um, I know you're thrilled about that. Uh, but one of the things you can get from this passage is, go ahead and put the next uh, slide up. Sin is an attempt. Go to the next slide where it has this awesome quote. Here we go. All right, sin is an attempt to find happiness apart from Christ. Now, um, you can use that idea whenever your parents ask you, okay, what were you doing? What were you thinking about when you did that? You could be like, I was looking for happiness, right? I was looking, I was trying to be happy uh, when I did that. So um, I, I know we all define sin in certain ways. There's always the impact definition that we always jump to, which is true, all right? The impact definition of sin is correct. But what I want you to think about is, there is, uh, as you guys get into high school, which you guys already are in high school, as you guys think uh, deeply about sin and think deeply about your walk with God, you've got to understand sin as more complex than what you've understood it previously. And it's deeper than that, okay? So whenever you and I sin, it is really an attempt to find something, find some meaning, find happiness apart from Christ. And you see this play out in the story, don't we? Both people are looking for happiness in different ways. Go to the next slide. So there are basically two ways we see in this story that people try to find happiness. The first one is the rule keeper. This is the person who's keeping all the rules. They're all about moral conformity. Um, as we said in previous weeks, if there's a rule, they will follow it to the T. If there's not a rule, they will ask you for one, right? They'll be like, can I have some more rules, please? I love rules. Because when people like this, when you define things for them and you draw lines for them, they love it, right? They absolutely love it because they, they, have, they know, okay, if I do this, this, and this, then I'll be on someone's good side or I'll be on God's good side. And that's how they live life, the older brother mindset. Keeping the rules, just conform to the rules, and that's how you gain happiness, Right? There's another way, though, that people try to gain happiness, and it looks like on the outside completely opposite. It's breaking the rules. It is self-discovery. We talked a few weeks ago about how uh, the words that people use when they talk about, you know, self-discovery, like, I need to find myself, right? Or I need to go and, uh, you know, um, I need to find happiness, right? And so people try to find ways to discover themselves, uh, find themselves, and, and I think, here's what I see in our world. In our world, the rule breaker types, they, they think sin is somehow progress. Let me explain this so it's not as confusing as it sounds. They think sin is somehow progressive or sin is like the way forward. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, if, as a Christian, if I speak to some people in our culture that are not believers and I say things like, yeah, as Christians, we do believe that... Um, that sex should be saved for marriage. I'm going to get this reaction of like, well, that's, that's like regressive. That's old school. That's old-fashioned. That's like, that's like 25 years ago, right? Now, we're, we're thinking progressively, and we think sex should be just, you know, free, 
whoever, whenever, whatever, you know, right? Just this whatever. Like, it's not a big deal, right? They, they see our views as regressive and their views as progressive, all right? The funny thing about the Bible, though, is that everything we can think of when it comes to sin today is actually in the Bible. What the Bible says will actually surprise you. Like, that's in the that's in the Bible? Really? That word is in the Bible? Yes, it is. And, and so I think what you have to understand is that Satan has this really interesting way of taking sin and repackaging it in our culture and stamping it with the word progress. And people in our culture are buying into that lie. This is why people uh, say things like in our culture, hey man, we should, we should totally legalize drugs, man. We should totally legalize marijuana because what about all those people that have glaucoma, right? I mean, legalization of drugs is part of that whole deal. Like, we need to progress. We need to progress past um, the way things used to be. And they see it as progress. So with that in mind, go ahead and discuss uh, four, five, six, and seven at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. If I'm going to keep my promise... I didn't say it. If I'm going to keep my promise of getting out on time today, then we must progress. We must move forward. Let's regress. All right, put my next slide up there, will you? This is a quote from a guy named uh, Tim Keller, which is actually not the guy that spoke over there today. I had someone, someone today said to me, they're like, yeah, Tim Keller spoke in the church. I'm like, that wasn't Tim Keller, that was Tim Kimmel. Not, not that guy, okay? Uh, but here's a quote from his book on this story. He says, Everyone defines sin as breaking rules, but sin is more than that. It is putting yourself in place of God as Savior. So another facet to this whole idea on sin is that sin is trying to be your own Savior. Sin is trying to replace Jesus with either your own good works, if you're like the older brother, or if you're not like, if you're more like the younger brother, you're trying to find happiness in that sin, right? And so you're trying to save yourself. Whether you're the older son type or the younger son type, you're, either way, you're still trying to be your own savior, right? And so there's a way that, um, that many of us, the old, older son mindset like myself, that we try to control God and we try to make God indebted to us, make him owe us something. I want to share just briefly how this works out in my own life. One of my biggest struggles is with the idea of suffering. Not at an intellectual level, but just suffering in a real personal way. So as I think about, now that I have a wife and two kids, as I think about um, what possibly could happen if something happens to one of them or something like that, all these fears creep in, all these thoughts about, well, God's not going to, God's not going to let that happen. He's not going to let something that bad happen to me. In fact, uh, this past uh, Thursday evening, um, my daughter, Sienna, she's almost, she's about a year old, a little over a year old now, so like uh, 13 months now. And um, at like one o'clock in the morning, we hear this awful like coughing coming out of her room. And so we both kind of rush in there, and she looks like she's gagging. Like, it looks like she can't breathe. She's going, <gasps> and we're freaking out, like, what do we do? What do we do? You know? And, uh, 
and so she kind of got her breath, and she started, like, wheezing really badly. And turns out it's, it's this thing called uh, croup cough. You guys heard of that? Um, I never knew that existed until this past weekend. And, uh, and so we discovered what it was. We called the hospital. They said, you know, you might want to go ahead and bring her in. So my wife, here's the thing. I'm a decent husband. I was like, Courtney, I'll go to the hospital. She's like, no, I am going to the hospital. And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, okay, Mama Bear, just cool off. It's, it's okay. And so, uh, so she insists on going to the hospital. So I lay my phone, like, next to me on the bed, like, right there. And I'm like, I'm just going to read. I can't go to sleep when my daughter's, like, in the hospital, right? And so um, I'm reading this book. Next thing I know, I hear the garage door opening, and Courtney's coming home. I'm like, wait, what happened? What happened? Where, where are we? You know? And uh, I dozed off, right? I knew she was going to be okay. So I dozed off. Courtney walks in. She's like, you were asleep? I'm like, no, I wasn't sleeping. I called you four times. I'm like, look at my phone. has four missed calls. I'm like, oh, sorry. I am not husband of the year, right? So, um, so Sienna's going to be fine. She's, she's, she's totally fine. But there are these moments where you feel like, okay, what if something happens? Like, what if God does the unthinkable and allows someone close to me just to die. Like, literally, that's where your mind goes, right? And there's a part of me that thinks to myself, no, God's not going to let that happen because I'm not, I'm not that bad. Why would he punish me with that, right? And we start to think that God owes us something. Like, God owes us good health. God owes me a family that has long life and, and total health. And so it's those kinds of moments where you start to realize that you're more like the older son than you think you are. And so one of, the, one of the scariest parts about this whole story is that you can follow all of these rules and think you're controlling God, think you can indebt God to you. And you can still be completely lost. There are people that follow the rules, right, that are still lost and are apart from Christ. This one verse I want to close out with, and you have to do some more discussion at your tables. Psalm 138, verse 6. It says, the Lord cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. And the reason why he keeps his distance from the proud is the proud doesn't see their need for him. Whether you're an older son type or a younger son type, the proud doesn't see their need for Jesus. In fact, older son types like myself often do lots of good things, lots of righteous works, so they can keep God at a distance and not really ever have to repent, not really ever have to turn to Jesus in repentance, not really ever have to receive his grace. These are ways that we try to control God. And so as you think about that, go ahead and do uh, your last three questions at your tables, and when you're finished with that, go ahead and pray, and you'll be dismissed.